Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of 28 Days Later. We're so excited to have you back for brunch. I'm your host, Sophie Day, joined as always by my beautiful co-host and younger sister, Hannah. Hello, everybody. Hannah, how have you been since we last recorded? What have you been up to? Um, I've been all right. I've definitely been struggling a little bit at work more recently, um, which I feel like is sort of just typical for everybody, like, around wintertime. Yeah. Um, but I definitely feel like... Uh, it's a hard time because it's really cold and I'm having a hard time like keeping the kids I nanny um, like stimulated and engaged when we're just kind of stuck around the house all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't help that my older kid is like really hitting the three major stage of things. Um, so he's been like extra sassy and he's a very smart little boy. So. When he sasses you, like, he sasses you. Yeah. Um, it cuts deep. It cuts deep. So I always have to, like, be reminding him and, like, reminding myself. I'm just like, he loves you. He doesn't mean it. He loves you. He doesn't mean it. <laughs> yeah. But there's definitely been a couple nights where, like, I'm going home and I'm like, man, that was a long day. <laughs> Uh, you should tell listeners about the amazing uh, Google Duo call that we had this morning with the little boys that you nanny. Oh, yeah. So they're, like, obsessed with you, um, which is very sweet and sometimes a little frustrating because sometimes they're, like, giving me sass, but then they're like, let's call Sophie. <laughs> they're only obsessed with me because I'm never there. So they're like, <laughs> she's novel. Like She's so fun. <laughs> if I was their nanny. It, it's just like... Um, Marcus in Chicago, who every time Jeremy and I have known Marcus, he is now seven. We've known him since he was an infant. And um, I used to babysit him. And uh, Hannah, the first time we introduced her to Marcus, now if we're ever in Chicago and Hannah doesn't come with us to their house, mm-hmm. Marcus is like, Yeah, it's super nice that you guys are here, but where's Hannah? <laughs> yeah, he's basically like, This is garbage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they wanted, um, they were having some craziness this morning. Um, One of my new favorite things, though, is that, like, when I get there and it's time to get dressed, they really like to just run around for, like, a good 40 minutes in their underwear, um, screaming, I want to be naked. (laughs) (laughs) So I will say that is a highlight um, of my day, just them being, like, so silly um and in their underwear but it was during that time that they wanted to give Sophie a call and we had stuff to talk about about the podcast anyway yeah we had important planning to get done of course which we of course did not do because both boys spent the entire phone call screech giggling into the camera and like trying to like cover me up (laughs) yeah they, they towards the end or I guess halfway through the call realize that it was funny at one point like one of them put his face in front of the camera and Hannah goes what are you blocking me and so for the rest of the call my favorite part is they would sit and wait until you started talking and then they would both lean over in front Mm -hmm. and start hysterically giggling yeah and then the phone call sort of ended when one of them took a fishing pole and just would like awkwardly from the like from the edge of the frame like stick the fishing pole 
like into my face. <laughs> and let the like fish kind of flop on her. Yeah, forehead. it's like well, it has a line on it that has like a little worm, like a little plastic worm on the end. So the worm was just sort of traveling around my face. <laughs> it was <laughs> the highlight we of my day talk. for sure. It was pretty funny. Um, so I have something to share that I ha- don't know how I feel about. I was on, but it feels Uh-oh. like the best place to share it is on a podcast where untold numbers of people can hear it if they want to. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, I was on Spotify earlier. Um, my beautiful, amazing friend Gail sent me an email. We both love the song Wildflowers by Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. And she gets a newsletter from a website, and she sent me the newsletter from a couple days ago, and it was just various covers of that song. So I was listening to all of them on YouTube. And a couple of them I really liked, so I opened Spotify to try to find them. Um, And I don't know if you've had this experience, Hannah, but sometimes when you're on the Spotify app, something will open and say, um, you know, this artist you follow has a new album, or here's a playlist we made for you that we think you might like. Um, And I usually just sort of close those and ignore them. Um, I had one of those, not ads, but I had a prompt pop up today that I was not prepared for. Uh, So all of a sudden, this hot pink box pops up on my phone, and it said... You are one of Post Malone's top fans worldwide. You are in the top 2% of Post Malone's fans. Hit play what on their radio station. Mean? I guess I have like the highest uh, number of hours of Post Malone music. I'm in the top 2% <laughs> of most listens to Post Malone songs in the world on Spotify. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, that's that's a quite an impressive feat. And it makes total sense because, what, like three or four months ago, you were telling me about Post Malone, and I was like, I don't know what that is. And you were like, you got to get into it. And then I will say that today when we were walking to school, um, to take the three-year-old to school, I was playing Post Malone on my <laughs> phone. Because <laughs> he loves him, too. Um, but you know, like he always, um, he does this thing almost like intuitively whenever I put Post Malone on where he puts his hands over his ears as if he's wearing really big headphones and closes (laughs) his eyes and moves his head back and forth in like this, like very, um, like grown up, like I'm jamming out kind of Mm -hmm. way. That's like, where Mm -hmm. did you learn that? (laughs) He gets really in the zone. He really does. No, it's funny because I don't remember if I told you this, but um, I was also late to the Post Malone train. So a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, um, I was watching one of my favorite guilty pleasure television shows, Ghost Adventures, um, <laughs> which I have been watching, I think, basically since it started airing. It is, if you've not done this, do yourself a favor. Um, some morning when you're like, hungover and you wake up I don't know if this happens to other people but when I'm hungover hungover. especially (laughs) no but I will wake up earlier than I'm ready to be awake and then not be able to go back to sleep but I don't want to get out of bed yet Um, I will wake up at like 8 and just be like cool um, this is not enough sleep but I can't go back to bed and so what I do 
and I this started when I was in college, I would just pull up an episode of Ghost Adventures on my laptop and watch that and kind of doze in and out. Um, and that <laughs> morphed into Ghost Adventures being one of my favorite shows, kind of ironically, but not also not. And um, I got Jeremy hooked on it. And um, I should say hooked with like quotation marks. He kind of hates it, but um, You've got but we Jeremy watch it together sometimes. It. <laughs> yeah. So a couple years ago, we were watching an episode, and the host of the show, uh, who, if you have not watched, is named Zach Bagans, was saying that his dear friend, Billboard char- uh, chart-topping rapper Post Malone, was going to be there. And I turned to Jeremy and I said. Who the fuck is Post Malone? <laughs> and Jeremy's like, you know, he's got that song, uh, Rockstar. It's, like, really popular. It was super popular, like, last summer. And I said, I have never heard that song. Jeremy was indignant and was like, that's not po- that's not possibly true. And Jeremy played it for me, and I had, in fact, never heard it. But then I somehow became obsessed with Post Malone and have since gotten several other people <laughs> into Post Malone. So but it really also, all wait. circles back to like my secret shame and also ghosts. So it's podcast appropriate. Um, but also, are you saying was Post Malone on an episode of Ghost Adventures? Yes, he was. What? Um, they were, uh, if you are hoping to watch the episode, it's when they investigate the Fear Factory, which is a haunted attraction. I want to say it's in Nevada or somewhere out west, Montana, somewhere out there. Um, it was an old meatpacking warehouse that is now Aren't a haunted attraction, and it might be uh, haunted by demons. And they, um, <laughs> Post Malone sort of goes around with them for a while, but then at one point they make Post Malone stay in the building by himself, and they leave, and he <gasps> freaks out. <laughs> That's so mean. I can um, never... Yeah, if you are, if anyone out there has watched Ghost Adventures, you will know that Zach loves to do that to one of the other hosts, Aaron. And so Aaron was probably thrilled that someone besides him got sent into the building by himself. Um, <laughs> hey, but Sophie, yeah, so save it for your Ghost Adventures podcast, okay? <laughs> so we don't need that my, here. Uh, that's my uh, that's my great weird news that I don't know how I feel about. I feel as though I should get like a free ticket or something. I mean, he was just in Kansas City though. Um, and I didn't go to the concert because it costs like $150 to get a ticket. So all I'm saying is Post Malone, I'm, you're getting a lot of very tiny residuals off my Spotify listens. So maybe yeah. hit me up next time you're in KC. Have you seen how much his Crocs cost? Posty Crocs? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm aware. Yes, they're very expensive. <laughs> Wait, there was also, um, because of when that happened when he released his Crocs, um, my friend and I were like looking at his uh, or looking at like expensive Crocs and we learned that there was like some other uh, I'm trying to remember I feel like it was like Versace maybe but there was some big fashion house that did their own Crocs as well oh but gosh. they were even more expensive and they're like these because crazy- that's what everyone needs well, you know I love a good croc. I know, but expensive crocs are yeah, not, that's what not what they're need. that's not what they're meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> My first pair of crocs we bought for like twenty bucks at an amusement park because it was raining and I was sliding all over the fake street <laughs> in my flip flops as a teenager and dad was like 
you have to put these Crocs on so that you don't slip and break your neck. And I was like, oh my God, no, so embarrassing. I cannot. And now I'm like, oh, my Crocs are so dingy. I need a new pair. <laughs> um, is this the same amusement park trip where my janky ass Payless sneakers like bled dye into my feet and then my feet wouldn't unprune for 12 hours? No, that was <laughs> wild. And I still talk about that all the fucking time. It was Kinda, like crazy. your new sneakers turn your feet weird colors. No, this was when we went to, um, where was it? Universal, right before we dropped you off at your freshman year of college. Oh, wow, yeah. What we went to time. Universal oh. during a hurricane. Dur- during a hurricane. <laughs> there were no lines. It was great. It was great. There was um, no lines, and it was amazing, except for when you went on the outdoor roller coasters, and it felt like you were getting shot with tiny pellets in the face. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> but everything else was great, as long as you could just like commit to being soaking wet. Yeah. But it's Florida in the summertime, so it felt refreshing. Everyone I've ever dated knows I can commit. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. My antidepressants make that very difficult. (laughs) Um, Well, Hannah, (laughs) what a beautiful and sexual segue into our film this week. (laughs) A movie called The Fits. (laughs) um, Right, right, right. I can see how that correlates. (laughs) The Fits is a movie that was released in 2015. It was written and directed by uh, Anna Rose Holmer. And it was um, funded entirely through grants from the Venice Biennale College Cinema Initiative. I'm not confident that I pronounced that right, but let's do it. Um, It's actually kind of neat because I was reading that when they when they were applying, I guess, or pitching their movie to be funded through these grants, they put together a tumbler of what the visual aesthetic might look like, and that's how their movie got picked. Um, I should say her movie, um, Anna Rose Holmes. So, so I think that's really cool. Um, uh, the movie was co-written by Lisa Kajuraf and co-written and edited by uh, Sayla Davis. So we have an all-female uh, creative board making this movie. Um, the movie is shot and set in Cincinnati, Ohio, which I think you had mentioned to me, but I forgot. So I got super excited when I was watching it because I go to Cincinnati for work all the time. Um, and it's about an 11 year old tomboy named Tony, Tony, um, and her older brother spend a lot of time at this community center in their neighborhood. Uh, they are both training at the gym at the community center to learn how to box. And one day... Tony sees this drill team dancing and she sort of watches them from outside the room and she's really taken um, with seeing them dance. And so she later goes back to the gym alone and is sort of trying to mimic what they were doing. And then she joins the dance team. And so there's this tension between herself and her brother and the boys at the boxing gym who sort of feel like, you know, she was one of them and now she's left Mm -hmm. to go uh, join the, the older girls. And once she starts dancing with the troupe and the troupe is practicing for a parade and a couple of competitions, young women in on the dance team start to have um, what they call the fits, uh, which are essentially look like seizures or catatonic episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, they all look different and they they don't really understand no one really knows why they're happening, um, but they seem to be semi contagious and happening within the dance troupe and so this movie sort of follows and only to the girls at the community center not the boys. yes it's only to the girls in the, on this dance team and so 
it, the film follows Tony through this experience. Um, so that's sort of a synopsis of the movie. This was a pick of mine. I heard about this movie when it was mentioned on a different podcast that I really like. I had never seen it and felt like it sounded as though it would be right up my alley. I don't think it is um, necessarily categorized as a horror film. I think it's often categorized as a drama. But, I mean, I think, I'm, I assume you would agree, I think there's a very sort of unsettling and hallucinatory tone to this movie that coupled with the sort of uncertainty about what's happening to these young girls makes it, I think, at a minimum horror adjacent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like one of my first notes that I had written down was um, I noticed this like type of music, I guess, or maybe not even music, just like a tone that I've been noticing more and more in sort of like the rise in like atmospheric horror movies, which is like in my notes, I wrote, it's like a creepy oboe, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of like, like, this is like weird, sort of like off-key oboe yeah. sound. Yeah, sort of dissonant wind instruments. Yeah, so um, that is definitely a thing in this movie. Um, and so when I heard that, I was like, this ha- definitely has an air about it that resembles... Uh, horror or like specifically too when the girls would actually like have their fits Mm -hmm. it was really creepy and scary um especially in the way that like everybody else would just kind of stand around and stare and not Mm -hmm. really do very much or film right there's like one sequence where the second girl that has a fit a bunch of girls are filming it on their smartphones I think because they don't know what else to do, but yeah. um, it's a really, it makes that scene feel even scarier to watch sort of, pe- we're, we are watching it happen through their smartphone screens. Yeah, there's like, I think that's the girl who, when she has her fit, she like is making this kind of like choking noise, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is like even more upsetting because you're like, is she having trouble breathing? Is she choking? Like Right. Um, and because it, the way that these episodes are sort of, like, um, not really explained to anyone um, or to the audience, like, you don't know what it is or what it means or what it could do. So when right. that girl was making that noise, I was like, where is this going to go? Like, is she... Because, like, later on in the movie, when some of the younger girls get them they're like I feel fine now I don't know what everyone was so worried about (laughs) right um but early on especially with the older girls when their particular fits are kind of like more like aggressive I guess like I would be like sort of on the edge of my seat like worried about if they were gonna like die or not yeah and we don't really or like uh, if their heads for the most part For the most part, with the older girls, we don't see them uh, very much after they have their fits, but we hear other, or if we see them, they're kind of in the background of a, of a scene, but other girls on the team are talking about how, oh, did you see, like, she's still shaking, or, you know, sh- she was kind of mumbling to herself. There's sort of, the younger girls, it seems like uh, they're, the fits that they have seem more isolated, whereas there seems to be a sense that with the older girls... 
they're continuing. But I guess there's all we have another scene where the older girls are talking about what it felt like and what happened in there. So they sort of say the same thing where it's like, um, I don't know why everyone's making such a big deal. It just was this really weird feeling. And they're sort of describing what it felt like for each of them as though they were di- they all experienced it in really different ways. Yeah. Um, one of the things I read which I thought was really cool and I think lends to the s- level of stress that you feel watching it is that each of the fits were choreographed in private and so th- all the actors that were not the girl affected did not know what the girl was going to do until Whoa. they filmed it. That's really cool. Yeah, so their reaction, I mean, obviously they know that the actress is going to simulate having a fit of some kind, but they didn't know what they were going to do. And so they're reacting to that. All that physicality didn't was not practiced beforehand with the, the rest of the cast, which I think I feel is, like you can feel it. Yeah, I feel like with especially for Tony with the girl who makes the choking sound. Like, you can really see it on her face when she hears her make the first noise and her, like, eyes sort of bug out. Like, mm-hmm. um, you, I bet for that little girl who was the actress, that would be kind of scary if you weren't expecting it. Right, definitely. Um, also, every time I say her name, I really want to go, Tony, 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 Tony? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Happy Endings, which we No. Um, no? Pop star. Oh, another thing that we love a lot. Tony, 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 Tony. (laughs) So ashamed. Um, Yeah, I also was wondering um, what you thought of, uh, what was I going to say? I I appreciated the way that um, some of the fits, so one girl, I think her name is Maya. She's the younger sister of one of the older girls who's already had a fit, but mm-hmm. she seems to be sort of... So we have the older girls that are teenagers, right? They they appear to be 16, 17. Yeah. Tony and her friend Beezy, um are younger, probably like 9 or 10, 10 and 11. And then Maya sort of appears to be in the middle. I assume that she's 13 or 14. Yeah. And she's friends with Beezy, but... Um, I think Legs, the first girl that has a fit, is her older sister. So she sort of exists between these two groups of girls. And I thought it was interesting that when she has a fit, um, it's just, she's just sort of standing there and staring. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's interesting because that, her episode is probably the least um, visually shocking, I guess, because she doesn't really move. But in some ways, it was the one that creeped me out the most. Yeah. Because she's just kind of staring at the ceiling and the camera is shooting her from above. Especially viewing it as a person who watches a lot of horror movies and stuff. Like, I feel like that's very, that's some uh, sort of like imagery that we would be very used to seeing in a film or something that was pertaining to an exorcism of some kind. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like a possession. So... That was, like, uh, particularly unnerving. Yeah. And I think that scene, the first couple times it happens, you know, the first time no one knows how to react, the second time they're filming it, I think by the time we get to Maya, um, they, people, no one knows why the fits are happening. So there's still this sort of, they don't know why it's happening, but as it's happening to more and more people in the group, I think everyone's afraid that they could catch it, but they don't know how. And so when Maya starts, when the other girls notice Maya looking up, 
they all sort of, they're kind of sitting around her on the floor, on the gym, and the camera mm-hmm. is shooting from above, and they all kind of gasp in unison and push away from her really fast, um, which yeah, also well, it just like they gave me goosebumps. It seemed like they didn't really see her for a while, mm-hmm. which is also scary, because it's like, if you're having a fit, or um, really of any kind, pertaining to your health, mm-hmm. um, and it's like silent like that, where it's like people wouldn't necessarily notice right away. Mm-hmm. It was really. It, I mean, it was scary. Like yeah. Um, just be, I think because the movie itself is definitely done in like a a very like realist style, um, and mm-hmm. then every now and then it kind of goes into some more like surrealist bits, like per, per, mostly just toward the end, um, but because of that, it's like it's very bare bones. Um, I think that really lends itself to making those scenes a lot more like they kind of get under your skin. Right. Um, I want to talk about one of the elements that I enjoyed quite a bit was um, the the stuff uh, pertaining to, I guess, like as they're trying to figure out what is going on with the water you have, um, Mm -hmm. or or I'm sorry, why people are having fits, one of the things that they think is causing it is maybe the water. Yeah, they kind of go to that, like, immediately. Um, Which I think if you have followed the news at all, um, to me, immediately, uh, what has been going on for years now in Flint, Michigan, sort of jumped out to me. Um, Yeah. And this movie came out in 2015, so obviously that feels even more timely. so I think we should say explicitly that um, all of the characters in the movie are black, um, and it. I think we are we are to understand that this is a predominantly black neighborhood and community, and so I found it really interesting that they add that layer in the plot because with the idea that this could be happening because of the water, we have two uh, people from outside the community who are both white women come in. One, I think, is maybe a rep for the city or the county or the water company. We don't really know. We sort of see her mm-hmm. through glass meeting with some of the girls. Um, and she's sort of saying, you know, we'll test the water. We're going to take a sample. Um, meanwhile, all these girls are, I mean, this community center is still functioning. All these girls are still there. They've encouraged them to maybe drink out of water bottles. Um, but the... Uh, BZ and Tony and Maya are then hanging out outside the community center when the person comes to test the water and they're in like big hazmat suits. Yeah. Um, and then later there's a social, I presume a social worker um, who comes to sort of counsel and talk to people at the community center. Um, they're really the only white characters in the movie and I think it's really telling that both of them um, we don't really see their faces hardly at all or get to know them. It's, they sort of feel like faceless, nameless people who come in from outside and don't, are sort of saying all of the like well-calculated political things about how they're going to help, but at the end of the day, this doesn't impact them and they kind of get to like mm-hmm. walk away and leave. Um, yeah. Um, that was really I, powerful. I actually went to... I actually went to... in. Um an art exhibit at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago over the weekend. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they have a, a really big exhibition right now that has a bunch of different artists work, um, but it's all about water. And so one of the installations was like um, boxes and boxes of what looks like a very like trendy, what would be a very like trendy new, um, some kind of like smart water or like whatever's that, I don't know essential water or whatever it is so yeah. it's like done to look like that but it's flint water um and so it's kind of like i mean it was really cool the way it was done and like um really interesting because i think it, it sort of like played off of like the super famous like andy warhol brillo boxes but all the boxes are like uh made up like um company that would be selling or normalizing that water yeah um but then they also had like actual um brochures from flint michigan that are left from the water company it like uh saying like oh sorry we missed you we came by to talk to you about like how to handle your water like appropriately and about buying filters Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a lot of those, like, just, like, taped along. So it was, like, one side of this exhibit is all these boxes, and then the other side was, like, a, a taped-up sink with um, those brochures, like, painted on the walls. Um, so having just seen that, like, a couple of days ago, um, that was really already, like, fresh in my mind. So then when they were all talking about it being the water and also, like, relatively nonchalant. Like, the kids, at least, um, are just like, if it's the water, then we just don't drink the water. Yeah. Um, It's, like, really um, startling because Mm -hmm. you have to think, like, you have to, like, you sort of think, like, oh, my God, like, why aren't they freaking out? But then it's, like, given what they've seen other people experience like of course that would be their reaction yeah like one thing I really liked about it is um the fact that for Tony like so much of the film was shot basically so that it's like on her level um not like like it was a limited scope of what you could see um just based off how it was shot And I feel like sometimes for movies where it's um, supposed to be, like, representing the point of view of a child, they'll shoot lower but kind of face upwards uh, or, like, be looking up at things or in a way that makes things look like they get, like, bigger. And it's supposed to be like, see, it's it's a child and they're low to the ground and everything is gigantic and scary. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in this, I felt like it was pretty much, like, straight across from her perspective so it was like she couldn't exactly she doesn't there isn't a lot of like looking up or looking down it's all kind of just like what's there in front of her mm-hmm. um and I think that that worked to a represent like just like her perspective as a child but also like the fact that like her scope of what's going on and what she's seeing around her is also limited by the fact that she's a child And, like, you know, like, but both literally and, like, then, like, the thematic idea of that. That she doesn't necessarily see everything in its entirety because she's a very young 
girl. Yeah. No, I'm really glad you brought that up. And it's kind of a perfect segue because the next thing that I really wanted to talk about was sort of the the thematic stuff that's going on in this movie. So obviously we have a story about a group of young women who are all um, starting to experience this sort of unexplained physiological event and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to when it happens to who and no one really understands why it's happening. Um, right. I think, so you and I talked a little bit off air. I think there are, um, this can, definitely can, and I definitely read it as sort of a, a symbol and an allegory for puberty. Um, and so I really liked, there's a line really early on when I think it's when BZ and, um, Tony are talking and they call it the boyfriend disease. <laughs> like only the older girls that have boyfriends are getting it, which sort yeah. of speaks to it being a, like a feminine maturity thing. Also maybe a sexually transmitted uh, infection thing, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, there's also a great conversation. So there's a scene where some of the girls, the older girls that have had the fits are back and they're having a conversation on the bleachers and Tony is spying on them talking about what the fits were like for them. And they all describe their physical experience of it as different, but they're also sort of downplaying it like it's it wasn't a huge deal. I mean, it, it changed them, but it wasn't that scary, right? Yeah, right. Um, and Tony is really fixated on listening to that conversation and BZ just kind of wants to like hang out and play and doesn't want to be bothered to listen. Mm-hmm. Um so later when she and some of the other girls are talking, Tony is talking to her friends and she's saying, you know, it's going to happen to us and she's so scared that it's going to happen to them. Um, and we get a line where one of the girls says, well, it hasn't happened to any of the boys. Which yes. is really interesting. Right. I wrote that down too because she says it hasn't happened to any of the boys and the old girl says, well, we're not like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like, especially with, I, I felt like her brother was actually pretty supportive of her wanting to dance. Like, he told her early yeah. on, like, you know, after he saw her dancing um, in the gym, he was like, if you really want to do that, you should just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, lo- a lot of the other guys uh, that he's friends with definitely make comments or say things to her about, like, it's like, now she's one of them, or, like, they don't want to lose her. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I definitely felt like... Um, with the way that the younger girls were fixated on it and sort of scared of it and the way that the guys were already putting this pressure on her of, like, you're not going to be one of us anymore. Right. Um, to me, I really was like, oh, this is, like, definitely, like, a puberty or, like, if she's, like, a period kind of a thing. Um, especially because, like, I mean, I remember being younger and, like, I remember when girls in my grade started getting their periods... And, like, what that was like, sort Mm -hmm. of, or, like, how much I didn't understand what exactly it was. And it was, like, scary to me because I didn't understand what it was. And when you're a kid, the idea of, like, blood coming out of your body and possibly, like, you having to put something cardboard. (laughs) Right into your body when you've never done anything like that before as a as a child like that is a really like startling thing to be confronted with like you're like that's insane like right i'm dying <laughs> like if that happens yeah 
That's well. That's what I was gonna say. Is I feel like you hear stories. I mean, you you and I sort of saw this. Not to make light of it, but you and I saw this portrayed in the uh, television miniseries that's a favorite in our household, The Thornbirds. Um, <laughs> but I think like there are young women who, when they get their first period, think they are dying. They they no one has told them what to expect or that this is a totally normal and natural thing that happens. Um, to to some like if you have ovaries. This will likely happen to your body. That's totally okay. Um, and I think it's especially interesting that we don't ever we don't ever get a sense of uh, the adults in Tony and her brother's life. We don't. Right. I mean, he says something. She pierces her ears at one point, and he says, "Like mom's gonna kill me for you doing that." So we assume that there's that their mom is around, but we don't know about their dad, and we don't know the level of involvement. And so um, the the sense that you get sort of from from most of the young girls in this movie is something is happening to the older girls and they are both they're handling it differently which I'm sure happened in your friend group like some of them are excited and some of them are terrified yeah Um, well and also if you think about it in terms of like how a lot of schools don't have proper education mm -hmm. like how much that would add to that experience being a scary one because if you don't if you haven't really been, if it hasn't really been explained to you or you haven't really been taught, like, that could be pretty horrifying. Like, the year that I started middle school at the school that we both went to, mm-hmm. they were, like, in a transition where they had, they used to do sex education in sixth grade. In the year that I started in sixth grade there, they, like, weren't sure if they should do it in sixth grade, fifth grade, or seventh grade. Right. So it was sort of like this flux or flex year. So we just didn't have it at all. And I never... Which, can I just say that the idea that by sixth grade kids are not already hearing about this stuff is (laughs) unbelievable. Like, Um, kids are already hearing it from each other, so you might as well set the record straight. (laughs) I mean, truly, like, I... And I didn't have anything before that at, like, the small Montessori school we went to. So I really had, like, no idea about any of it. Like, I remember in, like, sixth grade very vividly um, that song, like, three, six, nah, damn, she's bad. You know, mm-hmm. that song. And when they go, like, oh, skeet, skeet, motherfucker. <laughs> and I was, like, what, like, I heard someone talking about it in the hallway and them saying, like, basically that that's, like, jizz. And mm-hmm. I was, like, what? <laughs> like, asked my friend. <laughs> and it was like, I knew that, like, I knew that, like, a penis went into a vagina to make a baby. But it never occurred to me that any fluid was exchanged. Right. Like, to me, it was like, a penis goes into a vagina and a baby happens. A like, baby I, comes <laughs> out. And I, like, didn't make the... It never occurred to me that that was a thing. And I remember, like, my friend being like, yeah, like, a guy, like, like stuff comes out. And I was like, what? Like, and it <laughs> blew my mind. Um, I so, mean, not yeah. to blow up your spot, but I remember when we were watching the television show Desperate Housewives with our family. And <laughs> uh, Brie yells at her husband that he cries every time he ejaculates. And you turned to our dad and said what does that mean? And dad said, look it up. So Hannah is like sitting on the stairwell with a dictionary. Presumably she finds the word ejaculate. She reads what it means. I would have been in like fifth grade. Yeah. 
she screams and throws the dictionary across the living room and we never talk about it again. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like my sexual education. So it was not very um, that. And like the one that I always tell people is I remember one time being pretty young, like because you were in Girl Scouts and we were Mm -hmm. dropping you off for a Girl Scout camping trip. And our brother was dating a girl named Margo at the time. I I had to be really young, like probably like yeah. six or seven. And um, his friend was in the car with us, and he was like, hey, Ryan, what would you do if Margo came walking up the street right now? And Ryan went, oh, uh, I don't know, probably Humper. <laughs> and I was like, what's that? Um, and so, like, they proceeded to describe to me, like, what humping was, basically, like, what sex was. Mm-hmm. And they're also very limited and terribly incorrect idea of it. And that's, like, the only formal sexual education I ever so had. So, hold the phone. Did you not get... So, I had a really different experience, so this is going to be really interesting, because I, I had the opposite experience, which was that... And now I'm sad that this is not what happened, what you had. Like... <laughs> Um, for quite some time, when I was the only kid that was in choir, um, on Tuesday nights, which is when we had choir practice, when mom would drive me home from choir, which is like a half hour drive, we would like, like she would talk to me about like, she basically like gave me the talk over like an extended period and I could like ask questions. She bought me some like illustrated books about like puberty and what your body's going to do during puberty and like what sex is that she would then like we would get home from choir practice and she'd be like you can have this book but like keep it in your room for now because some of your siblings aren't old enough to have this conversation and we'll give it to them later um is this it sounds like maybe nobody got the master joke <laughs> because i never got anything like that <laughs> one time i saw a rerun of um What's what was the TV show that we both used to watch with um, Alan Thicke, the famous one? <laughs> Growing pains. Growing pains. I saw an episode <laughs> of Growing Pains where the youngest brother was asking his parents about the talk, and mm-hmm. I went in the kitchen, and I asked our mom, like, if that was something that like I should be having, mm-hmm. basically, and she was pretty much just like, no, not right now. <laughs> Oh, dang. Well, so, uh, Mom, when you listen to this, I'm super sorry to blow up your spot, and I can't wait to get to be there when you and Hannah have this conversation in person. Oh, my God. This is why the first time I had sex, I was like, I guess you just put it in my armpit, and then we both poop peanut butter. <laughs> if only that's what happened. I was like, what? <laughs> like, between that and then, like, like Mom pretty much never wanted to talk to me about it. Um and then our dad and Darla basically just, like, left a book about sex on my bed when I turned, like, 16. <laughs> yeah. No, it had to be. Was, was it not 18? He gave it to Ryan and I at 18. Was it 18? No, mine yeah. was definitely 16 because I remember, um, like, bringing it out. I was about to say whipping it out, <laughs> which is way more apt. I remember whipping it out at, like, every sleepover ever. Be like, look at this ridiculous book, and we'd all be like, "Oh my god, what does any of this even mean?" Like, I still have that book on my bookshelf. I um, 
Wow, we I are have it too. Still, so personal on this episode. So, <laughs> our parents, my dad and stepmom, bought each of us a book. Uh, for Ryan and I, it was when we turned eighteen, but I guess for Hannah, it was when she turned sixteen. I love that. I'm pretty sure the, Ryan was sixteen, also. I love that what ended up happening for you was like mom was like, "You're not old enough. You're not old enough. You're not old enough." Until you were definitely old enough, and dad was like, "Eh, sixteen is fine." Um, <laughs> mom was like, "You're definitely old enough, and I'm still not going to talk to you about it." So, um, and dad was like, it might be a little early and I'm not going to talk to you about it, but I'm just going to leave this here <laughs> and yeah, crab so walk I, uh, out of the room quietly. <laughs> I got that book as an 18 year old and I want you to know that when I was preparing to lose my virginity, this won't surprise you at all because you've known me my whole life. I read the entire chapter on losing your virginity and then made my boyfriend also read it so that we could both be ready for what that was going to be like. Wow, you're <laughs> such a nerd. You're like, I, I really know how to get everybody moment. in the mood is like what I'm, t- what I'm trying to say. As opposed to me who I basically, um, I didn't have sex until I was in my 20s because I was like, I don't even know what it is. Nobody's explaining it to me You yet. were like, I, no matter what I do, nobody will put their dick in my armpit and I don't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, All I, I want to do is shit peanut butter and no one's helping me. Isn't I just want to like get sexy and shit peanut butter and like no one will do that with me. <laughs> also, um, the idea of shitting peanut butter is like the cleanup would be horrific. Um, <laughs> I deal with a three year old and it's truly like that like every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm so sorry. Um, oh, but so I guess like to sort of angle us back toward the movie some. Yeah, let's do that. Um. <laughs> I really, like, part of what really made me feel like a lot of it was maybe alluding to, like, their periods was because, A, because the way they were sort of scared, B, because the way it was sort of like you're changed once it happens, but C, the way that they were, the young girls especially, were, like, simultaneously scared, but also really, like, fascinated and also, Mm -hmm. like, felt like they were missing something. Yeah. And I didn't get my period until I was 17, until I was a senior in high school. And other girls started getting their period in, like, fifth grade. So there was a lot of years that I had this feeling, like, what is wrong with me that I haven't gotten mine yet. And I had this, like, for a couple years, I had this, like, especially in, like, middle school when it was, when, like, girls were getting boobs and having periods, I had, like, such a strong like sense of like shame like that it wasn't happening to me yeah. or like that I was going to be the last one and then I got to be older and all my friends would complain about it all the fucking time and I was like I'm going to hold out for as long as I possibly can <laughs> right, <laughs> so I was like I don't right. want to get it so the, the day that I did actually like get my period I was like no <laughs> you got to do the whole roller coaster and spectrum of emotion before you even got your first period yeah but I remember like being in sixth grade and and there, there were so many girls who were getting their periods. And, like, there was a couple girls that I went to school with who got their periods, like, very publicly. And it was, like, very traumatic. Like, people made fun of them or, like, people bullied them. So there was, like, this thing that was, like, very public, mm-hmm. very um, scary. But then at the right. same time, afterwards, it was like, whoa, but she's, like, a woman now. So I saw all of that in the kids, specifically, like, the young, young girls' reactions 
to what these fits like could be. Yeah. And there's a great um, scene where a girl who has who had a fit at home, we don't see it happen, but she talks about how her parents found her and her teddy bears were all over the room. Mm-hmm. And it just, again, feels like this very pointed symbol for the idea that these girls are are making a transition, right? Mm-hmm. Away from their sort of childhood selves into an adult version of themselves, which I think is really interesting. Um, I also think that's kind of funny because I feel like some girls, when they start out masturbating, start out by, like, rubbing up against a teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, if you've watched the movie Booksmart, which, like, if you haven't, you should. The whole, there's, like, yes. a running joke that the one girl masturbates with a stuffed panda bear, and it's missing an eye. <laughs> and it's really great. Um, and she's like, what did you do to it? <laughs> Where did um, I go? I told, I told Hannah this off air, but I read a really interesting article on The Verge, um, which I will share in the show notes, that sort of suggests that um, the fits might be symbolic not only of uh, sort of maturing into puberty, but symbolic of a woman's first orgasm Mm -hmm. and sort of points to the fact that for each of these girls, the experience is really different. For some people, it's really scary. For some people, it's very calm. For some people, it's really exciting. It's like a body experience or a head experience. Um, And I found that to be a kind of an interesting For some people, they shit peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) We're still waiting to meet the elusive person who like Shit's peanut butter. If someone um, would have just explained sex to me a very long time ago, none of this would be happening. Hannah <laughs> wouldn't be smearing peanut butter in her underwear like, I have it. I have sex, too. Me, too. I totally do it. We totally rub our butts together. It's very <laughs> erotic. He rubs his nose in my armpit. It's a thing. <laughs> also, just because um, we are getting quite in- deep into it in this one, I did one time... <laughs> Um, get caught by our mother when I was probably pretty, I mean, I was so, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was probably in middle school where um, I thought she had already gone to work and I was like, I was exploring with a -A (laughs) Build-A-Bear and she opened the door to see if I was sleeping and we both kind of, and she both, she basically was like, oh, I, oh, I'm sorry. And then I was like, and like we... (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me, I'm joking. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm telling this story, but yeah, we never spoke of it again, and um, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, you know, nothing ever came of it. And um, eventually, the builder bear and I grew apart because he didn't understand why I just was always wanting to put stuff in my armpit. He was like always looking for peanut butter and not finding it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I want to like to bring us back to the movie. Her what do you all. make of the way the movie cl- like closes? What do you think of the sort of uh, ending sequence of this film? Um, well, one thing I thought was really interesting is that right before she, Tony does eventually at the end have a fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like before that happens, she goes past the boxing gym and she sees her brother training a little boy the same way that she was training at the opening of the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like she's been replaced by a little boy. Um, and then it kind of goes into this really, really, like, 
just like cool and stunning like montage of these girls dancing in these like super sequined outfits. I fucking loved it. I thought it was so, so cool the way they did that and the way they were flashing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it was also something that I didn't really think about too where it's like um, there are some forms of like hip hop where the dancing is like it does use a lot of your body and it is sort of like aggressive in mm-hmm. some of the movements. Mm-hmm. So like the way that her fit played out it like really seamlessly moved back and forth between like convulsing and actual dancing. Right. I mean, it looked a little bit like she was crunking. Yeah, exactly. And so I like really, I really love that. Like I thought that was so smart and like so beautifully done. And I thought the visuals of all the girls, especially the, all of them in the empty swimming pool, just like all lined up dancing was such a perfect way to sort of bring the movie all together and finish it up. Because it was also, like, there were times where um, they were all doing the same dance, but she would be facing a different direction or she would be doing something slightly different. And I thought that that was really cool because it was, like, she may have also had a fit or, like, she may have become a woman, but she's still going to do her own thing or she's still going to, like, make it her own. Um in a way and like I thought that that was like really cool there's also like a little bit of an air of it that was kind of like she's gonna lead all these women into like I don't know some kind of new order of amazing young women (laughs) yeah it's a super I mean I I was I think this whole movie is gorgeous and it's we've hardly we haven't even mentioned the fact that this movie has very little dialogue. Most of this movie is yeah. just shots of people interacting or dancing and, or and weird oboe music. Yeah. Um, and so I totally agree. This ending sequence is so stunning. And, and like you said, it so it's cutting between we're seeing Tony have a fit. Um, and then the sequence of everyone in their dance uniforms dancing on the bridge to me feels like we are seeing what her experience of the fit is like. Um, we're sort of like seeing her yeah. consciously take her place. And then the very last shot is she falls backwards while she's having a fit and they catch her and she looks, the camera is above her and she looks up into the camera and smiles. And it's this like beautiful, yeah. um, it's such a beautiful ending. I think um, so much of, female sexuality um, is either not talked about or is really taboo or is blatantly sort of demonized. Um, I mean, I know that you and I have talked off air and a little bit on the podcast too, just about the taboo around just like talking about periods or Mm -hmm. talking (laughs) about, um, I don't know, like anything else that women go through uh, in regards to our sexual and reproductive health that like you can't talk about. And to me, it feels like so much of the fear in this movie comes from it being a fear of the unknown. And there's something really beautiful about her having this fit. And for her, the experience is now I am like I was afraid because we see her cross that bridge and practice on the bridge alone a lot throughout the movie. So it's like she was so afraid when in reality now she is 
part of the team and sort of part of this bigger group that is literally supporting her and holding her up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, well, I yeah, the way that they all, especially how she starts dancing and they kind of come in after her, like file in after her. Mm-hmm. It really is like she's a she's a part of something bigger all of a sudden. Yeah. And it kind of grows and grows and grows with each shot to where the dancing gets bigger and bigger. So I think mm-hmm. it does like really represent that that she is joining like some kind of sisterhood. Definitely. Um, and I think we should give a quick shout out. So the dancers in this movie are a real drill team out of Cincinnati. They're called the Q Kids. Um, they were given a lot of creative license in the movie. So each of the speaking characters was allowed to sort of change or add to their lines if they felt like their lines weren't quite, didn't feel natural or didn't feel right. And the dance team's coach was actually made a producer on the movie. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, which I really appreciate. Like, I, I think it's it's a really, it's a beautiful movie sort of about um, maturity and agency. So it's cool to see that these like these young girls and women and all of the boys were on like youth, like pre-Olympic youth boxing teams. Dang. Um, so that, that was really cool. And I liked that a lot. Um, really quickly, as we are sort of closing out this conversation, I did want to um, nerd out a little bit. So I don't know if you have any familiarity with either of these instances, but I thought they were worth bringing up because we watched this movie. Um, do you know anything about or have you heard about the Dancing Plague of 1518? No. Okay, so in 1518, um, so this was during the time of the Roman Empire, there was a Dancing Plague. Um, Hannah and I are both Buffy fans. If any of you out there are also Buffy fans, this was um, partially the... Um, the inspiration for Once More With Feeling, which is an episode that's a musical where a demon comes to town and, like, makes everyone sing and dance until they implode, basically. Um, Until they, some of our people just die combusting. Yeah. Oh, that episode's (laughs) amazing. Um, So, but yeah, this was in a town in, um, in Rome, in the Roman Empire. 400 people spontaneously started dancing for multiple days without what? sleeping or eating or resting over the period of a month. Um, and some people danced to the point of exhaustion and collapse or death. What? Um, and it came on suddenly and like lasted. People would dance like for a couple days, either like in groups or individually for a, about a month or two. And then it just stopped and never happened again. So it's like the whole, like, Roanoke disappearance, but it was, like, people just started dancing? Yeah, it's a super interesting, like, it talks, it it comes up a lot when you're talking about mass hysteria. Like, just Mm. this idea that people seemed to be compelled. Um, So there's this really, it's a really interesting topic, and I won't go super far into it. But when you talk in psychology about things like that, where there's not a concrete psychological psychological explanation for why this is happening, but, I mean, it is happening, so um, you have to sort of try to um, sort out what's happening. And there was something similar that happened. Um, I think this is a much more close allegory for this movie. Um, but about five or six years ago, um, there's a town in upstate New York called Leroy, New York. Um, 
And there was, let's see, this is 2011 and 2012, so about 10 years ago, actually. Um, Whoa, that's when I graduated high school. A bunch of <laughs> a bunch of high school girls in Leroy, New York, started developing motor and vocal tics um, that they could not control. And it was similarly this thing where, like, it happened to one girl, and then it sort of spread. Um, it was diagnosed as a mass psychogenic illness, um, and it required all these women, all these young girls, to sort of like retreat from the media and also just from the the context in which like this uh, outbreak was being discussed. But it was this really interesting thing where this idea that sometimes something like that can just kind of catch and we don't understand why it's happening. Wow. Um, but there are video interviews of these girls where um, it feels pretty evident that they're not, it's not like girls faking it. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they are like really, really, struggling um and several of them had to stop going to school and had all kinds of other issues because they just um were really struggling to be able to function um so just a couple interesting things to google if you want to be a nerd and look into this movie is obviously not based on um anything true but there are instances of things that are similar so if you want to look into that stuff you can google the dancing plague of 1518 um or the Leroy girls in new york and i'll link to both of those in our show notes um, Hannah, do you have any lasting thoughts about the fits that we did not hit upon? Um, checking my notes, checking my notes. Not really. I think we pretty much got everything. Um, I mean, I would definitely recommend it to people. I think it was really well done. Especially oh, for, for sure. being like pretty bare bones. Like it's very impactful. Um, how yeah, many Bloody so- Marys would you give the fits? I think I would give it... I'm worried that I'm giving this out too much. Like, I'm scared to give a full five because I feel like I have to, like, really <laughs> save it. But I keep giving, like, four and a halfs <laughs> out. Um, and I definitely would give this one, like, a four, another, like, four and a half as long as that doesn't make me too, like, predictable. Don't get too in your head about it. I feel like we're <laughs> going to start covering bad movies, so... Just give the movie what you feel, what feels true to you. I think if a, if a four and a half feels good, then that's right. Then that is what I'm going with. And anybody who's got a problem with it can suck my peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to give the Fitz five my Bloody Marys. Five? Yeah. I Hello. thought this movie was stunning. I was so transfixed uh, throughout the entire thing. And we didn't say this, but this movie is only like an hour and 10 minutes. It's short and it manages to pack a hell of a punch in that very short runtime with very little dialogue. Um, and I think coming from a director who has not, had not really done a ton of stuff previous, that is incredibly impressive. Um, Anna Rose Homer was the director and, and she was, um, she was in Filmmaker Magazine's list of 25 new faces in independent mm. film back in 2015. So keep an eye Whoa. out for her because uh, I'm pumped to see whatever she does after this. Uh, Hannah, I believe you have our In Ladyer news this week. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you for that marvelous introduction. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, do you know what movie that was from? No. Thank you, Max. Well, that marvelous introduction. It's from Hocus Pocus. 
Um, oh, what a film. Let's do so, that at, at uh, Halloween next year. Oh, That's such a great movie. fuck yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so um, basically this case started a while back uh, in 2017, um, but a teacher, or rather former teacher at Charlotte Anderson Elementary School in Arlington, um, Texas, her name is Stacy Bailey, she was put on eight month, an eight-month administrative leave in 2017 after showing students in her class a slideshow that included a picture of her at the time, um, soon-to-be wife. And um, some parents complained that she was spreading a homosexual agenda to their children. And the school ultimately decided that um, her comments about her sexual orientation were not age-appropriate for her students. Um, even though all she had done was have a picture of her almost wife and refer to her as her future wife, um, people were like, she's trying to turn all our kids gay. Um, so she was placed on a leave and she eventually ended up leaving the school altogether because she didn't feel like she agreed with the way that they handled the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but she then, uh, was stuck in a lawsuit with um, the school. So she just today um, was awarded $10,000, um, or no, excuse me, $100,000, much bigger, $100,000 of what she would have been paid during that forced eight-month leave. Um, and her and her actual like wife, because now they've been married for a few years, mm-hmm. um, announced that they plan to donate $10,000 of the settlement to um, a uh, charity to help LGBTQ students. I love that. That's that. I love when in later news starts depressing and comes to a good end. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still like kind of depressing because she said uh, they asked her as she was leaving the courthouse, like if she felt you know, like really relieved or anything. She basically said like, not really. Cause this process like affected her faith in humanity and like mm-hmm. in, mm. um, school, like the school environment. Um, but it does get happier too, that she says she works at a new school now that she feels a lot more comfortable at. And, um, she feels like because of what happened beforehand, when she got to the school, there were a lot of LGBTQ students who felt comfortable like coming to her and and now she has really worked to like cultivate her classroom as a, as a safe space for those kids um, mm-hmm. so that that is like an added nice thing about it yeah well that's lovely well there you go sometimes I do my homework too boom um, if you proud of you, kid, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter. We are at 28 days lady underscore ER. You can keep track of us there. I tweet whenever we have new episodes and I share any kind of fun stuff that feels relevant along with what we're discussing. If you have feedback for us or want to ask us a question, you can email us. Um, our email address is 28 days later at gmail.com you want to reach out to us but yeah thank you or if for you just want to reach spectacular out spectacular episode if you just want to reach out <clears throat> and explain sex to me 
That yeah, if true. you want to tell Hannah. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, Sylph. Wait, it was synced up for me. Okay, well, we'll see. Hold on, I'm going to end the recording.